Welcome to the Dirt Reporters Podcast for the week of July 28th. I'm Joshua Joyner, uh, DirtOnDirt.com staff writer. I'm joined, as always, by the rest of the DirtOnDirt.com editorial staff to discuss and break down all the news, results, and notable topics of Dirt Late Model Racing. Uh, This week is a a good week for that because there is a lot going on. Just like last week, uh, there was so much going on, and I was having such a hard time keeping up with uh, with the rest of the staff and where everyone was that I let them kind of explain what they've had going on and where they were headed next. I'm going to do the same thing this week. So I'm going to start with our senior writer, Kevin Kovac, who's coming back from I-80. I know that much. Kevin, give us a little, uh, some details about uh, I-80 and then what you got coming up next just in this crazy time, what's going on with you. Yeah, I made the I made the drive out to I-80 this time. Well, second year in a row, actually, I drove it instead of flying because I went right out from the Southern Nationals races at uh, Beckley and then the rain out at With Virginia. Uh, so I made the made the haul out there and five nights in a row at uh at one racetrack in the middle of summer. That's a that's a new thing. You usually don't have that. That's a that's a speed weeks type thing uh, uh, for a length of time at one, at one speedway. And, and it was a long one. Fortunately, it wasn't super hot every day. That was, uh, that was a good thing. It was some, actually some nice refreshing breezes blowing in Nebraska. Um, and then I made the ride, made the haul back and then I'll be heading right back out back to Pennsylvania. And then I'm heading back out on the Thursday night, uh, Thursday to head out to the PDC, the Prairie Dirt Classic at Fairbury and stay out there to go to the USA Nationals also at Cedar Lake. So this is one big, busy stretch here. That's for sure. With all the big races in the Midwest. Yeah. I hope you didn't, uh, have anything planned for the late summer here. (laughs) (laughs) Racing. That's what I got there. Uh, speaking of racing, our uh, managing editor Todd Turner's been covering a lot of it. Todd, where you been? And and I think you you got a race tonight, don't you? Um, yeah, I'm on the Southern Nationals now after a stretch of the Summer Nationals. Uh, had a couple of good stretches of the Summer Nationals. This last one was kind of the farthest flung one, you know, out there in Springfield, Missouri. And as we worked our way back to Tennessee and Kentucky, uh, we were come or Illinois, Tennessee, and Kentucky. I left out uh, Illinois. You know, four-hour stretches between the races. I think the uh, the temperature started to flare a little bit. I think people were a little <laughs> a little wound down. So maybe it's good we're having this uh, summer nationals break here for a while. But uh, it was a good trip. And then I'll be home for a while till the north south. Uh, so that'll be nice. Yeah, I was looking at some of those uh, those drives you had uh, on your your summer nationals travels and that they were they were extensive that was pushing the limits i'd say a little bit for uh not only the crews but also the the media folks uh, our uh weekend editor robert holman robert what you i know you were at rome uh this past week right how was how was that one? Oh, that's right since uh since we got together last i, I went to i-75 uh over there in uh Sweetwater and uh went to uh, uh rome on sunday it was a uh it was a good show and then uh i went to uh uh, bed actually for the first time in (laughs) in my own on my own bed uh which was excellent uh but uh so really only had the the one race there at rome actually you know since we since we got together last uh, a a a summer southern nationals goodness i get those two uh mixed up all the time when you're going back and forth from tour to tour but uh this coming week thursday friday saturday and sunday i've got four straight uh schaefer's southern nationals races the ray cook stuff i go to boyd's uh then 411 then taswell and then circle back around to the to volunteer speedway where that race was rained out where i was at actually last monday so hopefully uh you know that's uh 
uh, it's going to be a, a good good wrap up for the Ray Cook stuff. Yeah, and a uh, a good points battle shaping up for that uh, for that stretch as well, which we'll of course talk about uh, a little bit later in the podcast. I was on the Southern Nationals this week. I did uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Unfortunately, Friday at Nemore was rained out, but uh, Thursday at uh, West Georgia Speed Speedway that was a new one for me, and then uh, Saturday at Screven Motor Speedway. So got my belly full of the uh, the red uh, the Georgia red clay uh, for sure. But uh, but yeah, so we'll uh, got a lot to talk about uh, this week. I figured we would start with uh, letting Kevin tell us a little bit about I-80, the uh, the big big week of racing out there with uh, both the I-80 Nationals, the first three nights, two prelim nights on Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, and then the thirty thousand dollar finality finale won by Tyler Herb there on Thursday. I think I'm getting all my days correct. And then uh, a complete reset and start over for the uh, Silver Dollar Nationals Friday and Saturday with of course Saturdays. 53,000 to win finale that was uh won by Kyle Bronson there so uh Kevin give us a did, all this anticipation for such a big event obviously when they announced that this was happening earlier in the year um you know everyone it was just kind of blew everyone's mind and then so getting there and actually going through it kind of what's your your overall take of of how the event went uh you know with those five straight nights of racing there in the middle of the summer in Nebraska yeah, it, it's five nights is in, like I already mentioned. It, it that's tough. It's a tough situation. Uh, you know, it's grueling. You know, and and there's a, there's a lot of like a, I mean, you think about the full time race teams. Hey, that's fine. And you know, of course, those guys, those crew guys, a lot of them were in that pit area for five straight days. They never even got to leave, uh, which is that could be a little uh, taxing on uh, on people's, uh, you know. Uh, uh, emotions, I guess, when you're there for in, in one spot and and never see anything different, not even see a palm tree like you do in Florida during speed weeks, at <laughs> least, you know, it, but, uh, uh, but uh, for, there was 44 cars for, for the, the field. I mean, like that was the largest field of the week of, um, the high water mark and, and probably a lot of people will be like, Hey, that wasn't a very good field. A lot of very, very large field for the amount of money. There was a half over a half a million dollars posted, uh, and purse money by the Kasiski family for this uh, week, which is amazing. It was it was uh, incredible purses uh, for every for the every night. And, yes, uh, was Saturdays but, that's read it correctly. Saturdays was the most ever paid to start like the start, start money a race fifty three hundred dollars yeah. to start that race just to start. That's impressive. I mean that was more than a I would over four thousand was just that never had been even five thousand to start a race before. So. Uh, I mean, this was uh, big money available just to get in that race. I mean, there were there could there would be guys that were in that race that that entered the the week that had never even won five thousand three hundred dollars for their largest check of their careers. So um, that would really mean a lot to some guy just to get in the race. And geez, the the non qualifiers race on Saturday that Boom Briggs won was fifty three hundred dollars to win also, and it was a great payback for you know it would have been thirty five thousand dollars total purse if it were for 24 cars. So, I mean, it, it, it's, it, that's, it's kind of mind boggling, really. I mean, that's a regular big race somewhere else. And this was a 20 lap non-qualifiers race. And even the non-qualifiers race on Thursday for the I-80 national still paid 2000 and it was 800 for, for second. And, uh, the pretty, you know, like you, you knew you'd get there. If you, you'd have just gone there and made every race, that's $8,100, uh, just guaranteed to you. So, but there also is, uh, if you're a lower tier team, I mean, it's hard to get crew guys to go for five nights. It's, uh, 
Um, I mean, everybody, you know, probably it's, it's easier to get guys to take vacation when they're like, say, for speed weeks or something like that in the beginning of the season, middle of the year. Uh, five nights in a, in a row is tough. And I know there were some teams that were like even kind of switching guys out. I know they talked to Charlie McKenna from Iowa and he had a couple guy crew guys come for the first three nights and then he switched out and they went home and another, another couple guys came and helped him for the other three, other two. Um, but as far as the racing, it was, uh, uh, you started off with Brandon Overton winning the first prelim night and it's like, Oh, here we go again, Brandon Overton. It's, uh, you know, could be another sweep of the week or something. I mean, domination again by Brandon, but he had a good run in the second preliminary, but that after that, he, he was, he, he looked human. He, I don't think he really was, uh, took to the racetrack as well as he was hoping. And it never kind of came to his liking, the slickness of it. And, uh, he had to get figured out those tires too, which they weren't allowed to sipe and groove for the week. So that changed up a lot of things for a lot of guys. A lot of guys had a lot of learning to do with that. Um, and then Tyler Herb wins two in a row, which was uh, including the $30,000 to uh, I-80 Nationals. And then Bronson wins the big one, the 53000 So I thought that was pretty cool where Tyler Herb and Kyle Bronson, you know, good buddies, Lucas Oil Series regulars. Both of their, their wins were the biggest of their careers. And, I mean, they, they had never won races that were uh, paid that much. It doubled the most money that uh, Tyler had ever won, which was 15000 and And Kyle had only won a, a 12000 was his highest uh, first-place payoff. So it was pretty uh, pretty uh, kind of a breakthrough for both of them. Uh, and, and that Kyle Bronson was especially impressive. I mean, unbelievable the way he blew that field away once he took the lead and I know, uh, I mean, I, th- I think Robert mentioned in, in his uh, fast talk uh, uh, answer there talking about uh, I-80, how he always would, you know, it's, it's it's always been a question. Can Kyle Bronson, he's such a hard racer, charger on the top. Can he survive a longer distance race to win one of these big money shows and uh, without knocking the right, you know, the deck out of the car? And, and this time he did, he got up on the, and he stayed on the outside the whole time. He pushed his car up on that lip and and just was ripping it pretty much the whole race and going through lap traffic. He won by a half a lap uh, over 10 seconds over Tim McCready. We got in the second, like late in the right in the race, never even gotten in view of Kyle Bronson. So uh, yeah, yeah, you have to give a good shout out to Bronson for the performance he put on. It's probably the biggest blowout in late model racing. I would think since Kyle Larson won that race back at all tech in, uh, in January when he won by, uh, you know, kind of the same distance, about 11 seconds, I think it was. So um, Bronson kind of added his name. Now he's, he's, he's kind of arrived. Once you get one of them big 50 grand wins, I think you're, you're, you've come along and you, you've arrived in the sport. It's kind of a, a, a ironic, I guess, is be the word to say that how the the week started with Brandon Overson winning, as you mentioned, it's like, oh, here we go again. And then you end up with, I, they're definitely not, I don't think they're upset winners, Tyler Irv mm-hmm. and, and, um, uh, Kyle Bronson, but they were, I would say, surprise winners, and especially considering, you know, Overton starting off the week with a win. You're expecting Davenport, you know, or McCready to run well, and some other guys. Uh, but I think if you look back, and both those guys have been running well, so not a not a huge shakeup. One thing uh, may have been a, a little bit of a shakeup was the announcement that uh, came out, uh, I believe, on on Saturday about the future of I-80. Uh, kind of a, uh, you know, some things up in the air. I, I think one thing for sure, or at least they, they intend on doing is having the same event again next week or next week, next year. Uh, so no, not next a, week, not next week. Yeah, no, no, not next week. Yeah, you're not ready to go back next week. Wait a minute here. <laughs> Give us a break yeah. here, Joshua. <laughs> Sorry back. But, uh, next year they'll do the event again, but things are a little uncertain with the, the future of IED there. Kevin, can you give us a little update on, on what's going on and, and, and what we know so far about that? 
Yeah, the rumors were starting to get out there during the weekend uh, that um, this could be the last year for the track. I mean, let alone maybe next year uh, that that this is Kasiski family was talking with some people, a company about uh, selling the racetrack and it wouldn't be a racetrack anymore. So, I mean, I I, (laughs) was kind of funny. I was I was ready to talk to Tim McCready after the race. Uh, and there was a fan talking to him. And I kind of waited for the fan and then he's talking with the fan and, and the fan said to him something. Oh, this is man. I love coming. Here's a great racetrack. And then McCready says, yeah, it's too bad that this place is going to be bulldozed, you know, and the guy and the fan looked at him like, what, what are you talking about? What? And he's like, yeah, it's good. They're going to shut this place. They're going to sell this place. And the crew, I, I swear, I thought that the, the fan might cry for a second there because <laughs> he, he was blindsided by that. You know, like McCready was, I mean, probably you know, there for five days. There's a lot of talk about that in the pits. And, and this fan had no semblance of a clue that this was a possibility. So, I mean, I th- it looked like Tim McCready broke some news to this fan, but <laughs> broke just, his heart uh, too. It sounds yeah, like <laughs> I know broke his heart. I think, you know, yeah. so I, I, I thought that was just a funny little anecdote to add, but, uh, but I did talk to Joe Kosiski, the promoter after the race and, um, and he, Joe it in victory lane now, right after the event on Saturday, he announced that next year, they're going to do five days in a row again, the same purses. And, and he's going to add a $53,000 bonus. If you can win all four features and a $20,000 bonus, if you win the two big features. Um, so even adding more money to it to make it even bigger. Uh, and he did confirm at that point that yes, he is. The family is talking to a company. It's kind of a neighboring company about buying the property and, uh, and it's it's gotten to a good point where they think it, he's confident it probably will happen. But he had also said that he wanted that part of the deal was, hey, we're going to we have to have at least one more year because I think Joe is he says, I'm, I'm not too dumb of a promoter. I know that if I'm going to be selling this racetrack and it's going to be uh, that's it, I want to have one more big silver dollar nationals. You know, I mean, it would be really dumb to like be in victory lane and just, hey, we're closing. Uh, let's make everybody realize like, Hey, this is your last chance to see the silver dollar nationals at I 80. So uh, it will be something to watch. I mean, again, it, it does, he is confident that it might happen. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see, you never know with uh, big deals like that. So, uh, but, uh, the I 80s days could be numbered and next year could be the last silver dollar nationals and I 80 nationals together. Yes. Uh, unfortunately he didn't kind of, you talk about him being a smart promoter and get one last, yeah, you know, hurrah there didn't pull an East Bay and, and do, you know, five years. Yeah, notice. five years. <laughs> right. But uh-huh. it, it, if that does happen, that is unfortunate because, uh, you know, this event and, and I-80 itself has just it blown up, it seems like to me, over the past, you know, I guess 10 years or however long it's been going on. And, Todd, I'm going to kick it to you for a little bit of perspective on that, you know, where this event, how it's kind of come about and, and where it's come from because uh, I know – it's not been that long. This is, this event's been event has been going on, and I eighty has been on the radar like it has. Yeah, I mean, it, it, to hear now that they're talking about closing I eighty reminds me of years ago when Sun, Sunset Speedway there in the Omaha area used to be the big deal. When that closed, it was kind of it took a few years for I eighty, which I guess was originally called Nebraska Raceway Park, for it to get going. So it's kind of funny we're cycling through to to I eighty, but. But yeah, definitely the silver dollar, silver dollar nationals. Maybe in a the shortest time period, maybe maybe Knoxville nationals is faster than this, but quickly became you know what what some people would consider a crown jewel event. Of course, we've debate talked about that debate, but yeah, I think the silver dollar nationals is is just 
you know, it's, it's kind of done it right. It kind of uh, uh, hosted that alphabet soup race years ago with all the regional series kind of coming together. And that really became a popular event. And then they slowly built bigger and bigger races. And the Silver Dollar Nationals started, you know, relatively modestly and now has grown into, I mean, what, what Kevin's talking about for next year, those bonuses and stuff. I mean, that is, that's a lot of money. I mean, that's, uh, of course, Eldora broke the bank with the double dreams. I don't know if we'll get there, but, but, but if somebody, you know, was able to rip off a bunch of wins next year at I-80, that would be uh, quite a way to go out for sure. It's, it's unfortunate to hear, you know, you know, whenever I hear tracks close or whatever, you know, people have been moan them. I'm like, there's a lot of them I don't bemoan. Now, this is one that I, I hate to see go uh, that that has been run well and been invested in and been a participant in the kind of the raising up of the sport, especially in a part of the country that that kind of needs it. You know, it, 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 that's really a. a you know, kind of a popular place out there and kind of helps keep late model racing alive for sure. So um, we'll see how it goes, but, uh, but it's not, not great news for, for those of us uh, like McCready's fan there that, that loves the track. Um, you know, it's kind of unfortunate to, to hear that. Definitely. There's not a whole lot of uh, tracks out there that have built themselves up to the stature that the I-80 has. And so that's definitely, it's not, you know, don't like to hear any track closing, but certainly uh, hate to hear that I-80 may be closing uh, in the near future. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, we'll look forward to one last big hurrah, at least at I-80 next year. We'll have to start resting up for that. Whoever is getting sent out back out there, Kevin, if you're going back or, or someone else gets it. But uh, moving on, though, let's, uh, let's come back a little closer to all of us, uh, the East Coast here with the, the Southern Nationals and talk a little bit about what's going on there. I was on the tour, uh, like I said, for two events. One got rained out there at Needmore. The tour's Southern or Georgia Swing, South Georgia Swing kind of deal it does every year. Uh, started at, at uh, West Georgia Speedway, which was my first trip there last Thursday. Uh, the track was looking at it and you could tell i'd seen pictures of it before um and talking to some of the drivers there wasn't many that had been there before but some of the ones that had been uh talked about how much had been done uh to that place and how much has changed uh with the new promoters taking over this year uh, of course that's the group that had sonoya raceway last year last few years and really built that speaking of a track building up that's another track they kind of built up now they're kind of stepping back and starting over and doing that with west georgia um and uh they, they're on to a good start with what they've done there, but uh, it's, it's definitely um, going to need a lot of work, I think, to get that to where they want to, to get it to. Uh, there was some some of the, the drivers back in the pack that were having trouble seeing because of the dust that was so uh, blowing up so much, and you had two drivers at least. I know Mark Whitener and Dale McDowell got into the wall and said the, they just didn't see it when they hit it, and that's two drivers, you know, you don't expect. If, if they said they didn't see the wall and hit it, I you know, I don't think they were just making excuses. That's two veteran drivers, um, you know, so some issues there, but the racing starting out was good. Uh, took a little rubber there late in the race. And then, of course, Austin Horton, uh, kind of a local guy. He's ran some limited late model races there. I think won quite a few this year. And so he kind of used his experience to uh, to get a, a big win for him there on the Southern Nationals. Of course, the Needmore was rained out on Friday. And then Screvin on Saturday had Ross Bells kind of uh, shake some some bad luck. He's ha- he's a guy that's had a lot of bad luck on the Southern Nationals last year. I don't even know the the number. He thought it was like nine flat tires he had last year on the Southern Nationals. I know he had. Uh, I went back and looked through some of the stories. He had at least um, at least five, and two of them were while leading races last year. And then of course Kevin was there at Beckley 
uh, to start the series uh, this year when he had was leading and had a flat tire there at Beckley as well. So he's thinking there he's leading that race at Screven, dominating the race pretty much. And he's thinking, you know, kind of in that mind, what's going to happen here? Going to have another flat and ruin it. And of course it didn't. He uh, he pulled it out and got a big win and kind of uh, kicked that uh, bad luck to the curb. Uh, but the thing that comes away to me, and um, Robert can probably shed some more light on this when he talks about Rome, but uh, is the points battle. And I didn't even know it, uh, but the series does a, a one race drop. So it, you really don't know who's in line, although I think uh, at this point, I think maybe Donald McIntosh is leading the points at this point. I know they've kind of swapped. I think the last two or three races it swapped, uh, but it's going to be even more shaken up when they get to the end of it and then uh, all the drivers get to drop one race. At this point, I think you've got like 10 drivers who are still technically kind of in contention. Uh, I pointed out a guy like Kenny Collins who didn't even intend on running the full series. He was skipping the first weekend there at Beckley and With, but because With rained out, he only missed one race, and that can be his drop. And he's a guy that's actually had some good runs and could be in contention. Uh, but yes, yeah, so that's going to be something to watch uh, as we as we kind of go into the the final week of that tour and uh robert since you were at rome the uh, most recent race and i know you'll be uh todd's going to the the race at at tri-county but you'll be wrapping up the tour so kind of give us a preview of where the or an, an idea of where the points stand after rome and kind of what it's looking like going into the 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 last few races there uh yeah sure for first of all i think it's kind of neat that uh i don't know if it's neat i don't know if anybody else thinks it's neat but uh this is the first time that i remember uh, all four of us uh, taking a uh, a Schaefer's Southern Nationals race. Um, I don't remember. Uh, usually, two of us split this deal, but uh, the way with all the racing that is going on and the way things are spread out, uh, all four of us at least having one race with Kevin starting it off, and I think Todd Tuesday in in North Carolina, and then of course you and I, Joshua, taking the bulk of it. I think that's uh, that's pretty neat that we all get a little little taste of of this uh, this series. Um, but, uh, and also to kind of echo what you're talking about, West Georgia, I talked to Shane McDowell and, uh, he said that it was as bad, the dust was as bad as, as he had ever, ever, he, he, he stressed ever seen, uh, you know, a, a racetrack and, and I'm like, you know, anytime somebody says that and it's bad, you're like, uh, yeah, they, they all, everybody says the best I've ever seen is the worst I've ever seen. And I'm like, really? He said, yeah, it, it was really, really bad. So, um, I didn't get to see that one. That was you. And, and so I'll, I'll uh, say one I'm, thing. I, d I do want to step and say one thing about the track. I think what they ran into with that is it has rained a lot throughout the South and even their infield was, was a mess. It was so wet. And I think they expected the track would, was going to hold moisture better because of all the water rain they've gotten lately. And I think, you know, being their first year at that track probably misjudged how much water it may have needed based on how much rain they've been getting. And it may have needed a, a little more. Uh, but to look at the infield, it was surprised, surprised me that it turned out to be so dusty by the by the end of the night. Well, the other thing is that those guys are experienced at uh, at track prep and, and it's not like it's the first racetrack they've, they've ran. But so they I feel like they'll get that situation uh, straightened out. I don't think that's a. You know that's a situation that you'll run into uh, in the future down there. I really don't. I think that maybe is an, an anomaly that uh, that they are definitely uh, going to correct uh, down there. So, but uh, over at Rome, moving over to Rome, with you know you're talking about the points race. Um, you know, uh, Jensen Ford leaves uh, his home territory with a with a not a decent points lead, but a points lead at least. And uh, and he had said that he 
just wanted to survive down there in Georgia and South Georgia and those tracks that he wasn't familiar with. And he, he does, in my opinion, he doesn't come back to Tennessee as we start to swing back North. He's not coming back with the points lead, but he did his objective in my opinion. And that's survive. He's not 50 points out of the points lead. It's, it's, it's not far. Donald McIntosh took over the points lead there at, uh, um, I believe the last Georgia race, he jumped over, uh, both. I think it's really Cody Overton took it over. Uh, and then all of a sudden Donald McIntosh jumps them both. And now, uh, as leading as they go, uh, uh, I think Tuesday in the Carolinas. So by the time I get to the racetrack at Boyd's on Thursday, we could easily have a different leader. Uh, you know, one bad night when it's a, when you're talking about an eight to 12, 14 points, it only takes one bad night, a, a, a flat tire, a, a broken axle, a bad, a motor would go bad for you to go from leading this thing to 20 points out. So, and then, then you factor in like many people really weren't clear about the drop. So, uh, I know the McDowell's didn't know it. I know Kenny Collins didn't know it, uh, you know, based on you talking to Kenny. Uh, so a lot of people weren't really clear about that. So I always like, I don't like if you're going to have a drop, which I don't like to begin with. And I think that you have a schedule. These are the races we're going to run. You either come run with us or you don't. And if you, if you could make it great, if you don't, you don't. So I'm not a fan of the drop, but if you are going to do the drop, let's just get a calculator out and drop it. Every time we send out the points, drop it, have, have your worst, have your worst finish drop from that. If you're going to, if you're going to tally the points tonight after the race, go ahead and drop my worst finish. If I didn't show up for a race. Okay. I mean, that way we know, we always know. Yeah, that's my opinion. I I'll, I'll say real, real know. quick. I'll, I'll say I agree with that because I went to, I interviewed Kenny Collins after Strevin because he had a good run. I think he ran uh, fourth and he had ran fifth the night before. I'm like, that's you know a couple good runs for him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna interview, interview him and he starts talking about the points chase and I'm like, Kenny, you're eleventh. Like, what are you, you know, why are you worried about the, the points chase? And then, uh, and then he explained the whole drop thing to me. So I agree with you there, Robert. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree too that they need to add that in there. Uh, maybe maybe the reason people didn't know about it, they'd heard about the droop rule, but they didn't know about the drop rule, <laughs> the droop or the drop. Uh, well, good. I, I just good one there, Todd. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I just think that you know, uh, it's not that difficult to figure a person's worst finish. You know, uh, if a guy, if you're if you've had three races and this guy comes to two, we know what his worst finish is. So, you know, basically it's, you're not worried. You're not really worried about look at it the opposite way. Don't worry about what is somebody's worst finish. Just take, if there's five races, take somebody's four best finishes. Look at it. Look, you know, look at the other side of it. So that way you just, okay, there's, we've had five events. We're going to take this. We're going to go up and add every person's top four finishes. And if a guy's only ran three, guess what? He only gets, you know, that's pretty simple. You know, you're only adding three races for that guy. If a guy's ran five races, you're adding his top five. I mean, his top four. It's it's not that, it's not that, you know, and I'm not like trying to, um, I know for starters, it's a pain in the tail when you leave a racetrack at 2 a.m. And and people want to know the points and, and you, you want to get it updated and stuff. But 
I also have to believe there's some kind of computer program out there that does this for you and can add this up and you can get it out in a timely fashion and, and we can and we can do it, you know. So but anyway, if the points race is wide open, uh, if you look at their series itself, we've had a lot of parity. There's a. Uh, not, uh, I don't know if that's parody is in like, uh, we've like been doing comedy shows or if it's parody is, I'm not sure if I got my parodies, right, but at least I'm saying it, not spelling it. Uh, but anyway, uh, five different winners heading into North Carolina. I think that's excellent. I think that, uh, I think, you know, you, you couldn't ask for, for more right there, uh, variety. And, uh, I think that's good for the series. And I think that uh there could easily be eight different winners by the time we get this thing wrapped up in in east tennessee next week or at the end of this week yeah and one more thing i'll throw out there before we move on from the southern nationals i, I found it interesting uh cody overton talked about his i mean he's still right there in the thick of the points chase sure. and uh he talked about how he really wanted to uh get that get that title uh just to keep the overton name atop the series <laughs> there so uh i don't think anyone expected him to to really contend being a you know first time in a in a super late model, but he's certainly uh, you know been surprising like a lot of guys have on the tour. It's really been a a fresh group of guys on the tour and and really kind of been refreshing I would say in in following the tour. Uh, and then uh, we'll talk about a series that really I, I guess there's a couple fresh faces. You're talking about uh, Ashton Winger and and Tanner English on the on the Summer Nationals, but really a um, uh, kind of a guy that was uh, kind of we, we've grown familiar with winning races on the summer nationals. Bobby Pierce uh, still kind of racking up wins over there, although Ashton Winger has been improving and running good as well. Todd, give us a little update on what's been going on in the summer nationals as the tour heads into its uh, its break here, uh, uh, kind of in the middle of the tour. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right on with the Pierce Winger juggernaut. I mean, since the fourth of July, only Shannon Babb has won on the series, other than those two guys. Um, and Pierce kind of more dominantly, especially this last stretch here, um, Tri-City, he blew everybody away. And then Richmond, he was clearly the class of the field. Now, at Springfield, it was a little different. Tony Jackson Jr. was out front, and uh, um, he had a flat tire. And, you know, he wasn't run, he wasn't killing Pierce, but he was solidly in the lead before the tires started going down. Uh, it's funny, when I rolled in there, the first crew guy I talked to said, watch out for the rocks on the tracks here. Uh, and then multiple guys had tires. I guess Tanner English said he had, had cut down a couple. And so uh, that was too bad. You know, it'd been nice to see Tony Jackson or Pierce at least have to fight Tony Jackson for that one at Springfield. Um, Winger, I would say, has been, I mean, I've been very impressed. Uh, you know, I, I mean, he's clearly the last couple of years had some really good runs and some made some noise doing having some big races. But his consistency it's a shame he was kind of so up and down and lousy and had some bad luck at the beginning because I think he would be clearly second in points ahead of English, uh, who's been a little disappointing. And I think, you know, Tanner told me the other day, I don't know if Pierce is getting better or if I'm getting worse. Uh, because it's, it's frustrating to chase Pierce around, although Winger has been the best one to do it uh, in his, uh, um, you know, winning four races there. Uh, as I mentioned before, you know, the, these are the longest trips between, between races in this last couple of stretch. And it was also kind of tacked on in a way, these Kentucky races. Uh, and then when they, they went back to tri city, which I think is, I mean, 
to me, that's embarrassing for the series that has built itself on day after day racing, going to different tracks to go to randomly go to a track again. You know, they did that last year at Fairbury. I give them the COVID waiver, but but this year just to go to Tri-City again, just because seemed, you know, t- very tacked on, you know. Uh, so I think the series was kind of, you know, I don't know, but running on fumes, that might be a little much, but clearly – you know, the, 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 there were a few regulars following it and it was just kind of, uh, uh, petering out a little bit, I guess, by the time, and by the time we got to Richmond there and we're ready to start that feature. And, and then they watered the track too much and, and basically cost us two more hours to the night. Uh, everybody had pretty much had it by then. And, uh, um, anyway, I'd, so I'd uh, like a well-deserved know, break. I'd like to know what you thought about that whenever <laughs> you realized uh, that was going on. It, I mean, I saw the opportunity to write a story, so I like quickly went to work writing about it. Yeah. Derek was threatening to leave. Uh, <laughs> we do, we do have interviews. We we did have them, but it, it, everybody was a little. And even as one unnamed person of relative note there said, "I don't think the series will be back." And that's the thing. I, I think the that's a, that's unfortunate for in in really Kentucky. I think especially with the tire situation and stuff, it's not really the place they need to go. And if they do go there, if you don't have Zach Dome and Michael Shelton and Tyler Carpenter and some of those guys who've won the big races there, what's the point of going down there to run against the, you know, against their lesser cars? I mean, no offense to the, there were some good Kentucky cars there, but it wasn't the cream of the crop. So, um, so yeah, that was kind of a, you know, to go to there, for a number of reasons, you know, and then Lake Cumberland rains out, you know, it's just, it's just unlikely that the, that seems like the a place to go. To, it's not the heart of the series for sure. We're, we're also pulling, I think that, that Sam triggers will, maybe he'll be exhausted by this tour and, and bring it back to where it's a, a tighter, uh, you know, three or four week thing, you know, centered very much around Illinois with a few, a few random trips and, uh, and, and we'll get back to where, where we belong. Is that, was that a song? Anyway, <laughs> could be I'm sure we could piece that into a song. I, I think probably Sam, if he even listens to this podcast, he's probably sitting there thinking about how many more races he can add just because Todd Turner talked about bringing it, reeling it in and bringing it back. <laughs> but, uh, but speaking of bringing it back for the, uh, it's not the series bringing it back, but for the heartland of the Summer National Series, we are bringing it back to that area this weekend with uh, Fairbury. Of course, as you mentioned, I, uh, the Summer Nationals is going on a two-week break. Uh, and during that time, there's two big races kind of in the Summer Nationals area. A lot of those guys will run starting this weekend with the Prairie Dirt Classic at Fairbury. And then next week, the, uh, Cedar Lake, the guys that go up there for the USA Nationals. But I figured we'd do something a little bit different to kind of preview Fairbury instead of talking about things going on right now. I figured we maybe could talk about uh, what's happened in the past there, kind of talk about uh, some I, – I, I was – throughout let's talk about like one of our favorite memories of Fairbury because there's been a lot of good races there so a lot of one of our favorite memories of events we've covered at Fairbury to kind of give uh the fans and folks going there a preview of what they can expect uh this weekend so uh I think I'll start with Kevin and let uh, Kevin go first and so give us a a a memory you have of Fairbury to kind of give us an idea of what we can look for uh, at the uh, Prairie Dirt Classic this weekend oh man I mean there's ever I've been to every Prairie Dirt Classic since 2013 and it became an outlaw race and, and moved from that Labor Day old uh, uh, date to the middle of the summer and the purse was raised, became, a, you know, became uh, its, its start to become a real major event. Uh, 
and man, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, I could, I, I could just put my hand in the, in the jar and pick out one of those years and be like, that was something happening exciting that year. Cause there's a, it's, it's always been a pretty dang good race. You know, I mean, um, from Jonathan Davenport getting by Dennis Herb on the last lap in 2015 and getting on his roof and part, you know, and then having a DJ on his lift gate in the pits afterwards. I mean, that's one thing I remember, but that, that first one in 2013, you know, that that's, here it is. I mean, you hear about Fairbury, everybody talked it up. Like this is going to be such a, um, uh, this could really be a, a marquee event. It could develop into something. And we go there in 2013 and, and, uh, and it lived up to every, uh, you know, everything you would have, you, you, you heard about it. Uh, I mean, what a race right down to the end, Shannon Babb and Bobby Pierce and Dale McDowell battling for the lead right down to the wire. I mean, I remember I, I sat in, I was in the tower, like that tower, which is like practically on the racetrack going into turn one. I mean, you it's a heck of a view. And I mean, uh, it's a flat front, uh, uh, window. And so you're like, you're, 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 the cars are coming right at you. You're like on the racetrack. And I just remember Shannon Babb making some moves there. I mean, I, I thought he would might end up in the tower with me. Uh, he was like, just, uh, it was, it was kind of breathtaking. Uh, like that, what a view I had of these moves he was making, um, in, in traffic and you know, battling for the lead. And he took the lead. Babb ended up winning, uh, taking the lead with like seven to go from Pierce and, and went on to get the win $20,000 then. And, course he's the the local hero and the place is going crazy and they're already pumped up because it's the biggest win of the biggest race they've ever had and then and then there's other stuff going on every bobby pierce and 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 uh you know bobby pierce's sister is as angry at dale mcdowell for those two getting together in the last lap she's going up to him at the scales and and uh and, and threatening them and uh and mcdowell's trying to get her away and and then Pierce is angry because the, there's a controversy about did they did the officials push the tires out on the inside of the racetrack because he had, believe remember, this is 2013 16 year old Bobby Pierce remember him now, remember this guy now I mean this is the guy who's always on the outside right he was on the inside of the racetrack then he was like as low, he was in the infield almost he would come up to take the lead from running the total inside groove. And then it was sort of messed up because those tires were, I guess, they were pushed out a little bit more to where they're supposed to be. That's what the, the talk was then. And he didn't believe that. But, I mean, there, there was just so much going on. And, and I'm like, man, this is going to be some great race going on for a while. Uh, it's going to be pretty cool. People uh, often forget that Bobby Pierce hasn't always been the high side, you know, ha- hammering the cushion like like he is now. He he was really known for the, that uh, inside line coming up through there like you mentioned there kevin so he's uh like like the event has kind of uh changed over time there but robert what about what about you what do you got for a memory of fairberry to help us preview the weekend coming up you know i went there i've been i've only been there uh two or three times and one of my one of my favorite memories is going there and it's one of the worst races that has ever been at fairberry you know i mean it was a terrible lockdown feature uh because you know you you all you hear first of all i want to say that when todd and i were together at national dirt digest over in north carolina uh, two decades ago and we would do the summer national stuff todd always took like fairberry and those illinois races and stuff and i got stuck at like clarksville and and all these like 
horrendous places you know that during during the summer nationals that todd always took the best races for starters okay <laughs> and he always you know i'd wind up in it'd be dirt car summer nationals month and i'd be in louisiana or something so but so i it wasn't it was years later that i actually got to go to fairbury and i'm so looking forward to it because you know of course then michael rigsby and and Derek kessinger and uh, uh turn they all talk about how it's America's track and this is the greatest track in America. And, uh, and I go up there and I'm telling you, it was a freight train. It was the worst race. Uh, Shannon Babb won the race and it was locked down. There was zero passing. And of course, with me being from the South and we, we kind of have races like that a lot down here. They blamed it on, they blamed it on me. <laughs> Uh, you, they, took, they, it was you took the old, train racing with you. You brought. Yeah, it, it was you. like, oh yeah, Robert's here, so that's why the racing is so terrible up here, you know. And I'm like, listen, I just came to see the best track in America. That's all I've heard. And then I come up here, and I'm like, what is this crap? You know, I I've seen better races than this. It's so no, I've seen better races than this at Duck River, you know. And so, uh, uh, so that was 2017. Shannon Babb wins it as a terrible race, and they told me not to ever come back. So. Um, so I skipped it in 18 and, uh, I did go back in 19, uh, 2019 and, um, I, I did see a dandy race. I was very, uh, Brian Shirley won it. Uh, I can't remember like, you know, the specifics of lap by lap or anything like that, but I just remember Brian Shirley won it. And it was a really good show. It was a really good race. And, and Kevin is hundred percent right about the, the press box. It's right there on the track. You're it's like, you're hanging over the front stretch. Almost it's, it's really impressive. It's like you're in the uh, flag stand. It's like covering, trying to cover, you're covering racing the flag stands. Totally you're standing above the flagman. Yeah. I mean, it's really that cool, you know, and, and, uh, and I, and in fact, I think the first time I went in 2017, I didn't even go up there. I, I just watched it from the infield. So maybe that was the problem. Maybe that was the whole issue. I had to go to the, to the, the press box there, uh, to, to watch the race. But, uh, you know, this, that, when you talk Fairbury, you're talking about atmosphere, uh, you're talking about uh, people who, and the Prairie Dirt Classic is, I've never been. So, and I've just seen and, and read and heard. And so, um, it's clearly a bigger event than than the Dirt Car Summer Nationals events that I've been to. So, uh, so, but, uh, so whoever goes, I just can't imagine you being disappointed because the whole town rallies are around that place and that's to me one of the most uh remarkable things is when you're going in uh i want to say from the east you're going in there's a billboard you know right there that's got a it's got dirt cars on it you know how many little towns in america you know that you go into have have dirt late models on their billboard welcome you welcoming you into town uh the whole town rallies around that place and that's to me what makes it amazing and then the fact that you know, 99 out of a hundred times, the, the racing is excellent. Um, you know, the best track in America. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I'll let that, that debate rage on, but, but man, it, it, the atmosphere is, is excellent for such a small track. The town rallies around it. The, the racing is good. You just, you really, if you're a fan, it has to be on your bucket list to go up there and, and catch a, a race or two at that place.
Yeah, I, I was kind of the same boat as, as Robert. I went, uh, heard all about Fairbury and, and, you know, seen some videos online and, uh, and, uh, and of course on dirt on dirt, but I didn't get to go until up there until summer nationals. I did two races back to back, probably around 2011, 2012, sometime in that time period. Um, I don't remember exactly, but I do remember that the, the races, I don't remember a whole lot about them other than the racing was, was good, but it wasn't great. Nothing really stood out as fantastic. I think someone was really fast and probably pulled away in the feature, uh, the best I can remember. But when I went back for uh, the Prairie Dirt Classic in 2015, uh, working for the World of Outlaws at the time, and uh, it was the year that Jonathan Davenport and Dennis Herb Jr. came down right to the end. I think the whole second half of the race, they uh, swapped the lead back and forth. And then, of course, had the, if, if you haven't seen that, you go watch the highlights. They'll come up on Dirt on Dirt. But the uh, dramatic finish, lap, last lap pass, Davenport, uh, using using a little elbow, I guess you could say, to get past Herb uh, through three and four and uh, and taking the big win. It was, it was just, as Robert mentioned, the whole uh, atmosphere there, uh, when you combine what's already a great atmosphere with a dramatic last lap pass finish like that, it was just uh, something I'll never forget. It was certainly lived up to the hype um you know certainly uh and impressed me for sure i've i've always looked looked for i don't think i've been back there since that race to be honest with you so um uh so looking forward to getting back there i'm going with my my brother's uh my brother is going to be running in the race uh for the first time it'll be his first time there i'm the only one in my family that's been there so but i'm looking forward i'm, I'm uh, going and, and actually kind of going to be a crew member this week so i'm looking forward to going and hanging out and experiencing it that way uh, what about you, Todd? What do you got uh, a memory of, of Fairbury you can share with us? I'm sure, as as Robert alluded to, you have plenty, right? Yeah, sorry about that, Robert, that um, that you were at uh, wherever you were while I was at Fairbury. <laughs> so, but back then, the, the Prairie Dirt Classic was a little bit different, but those are my memories of that when it was a Labor Day weekend race. Um, I don't know, a couple of... Uh, I guess the main one that jumped out at me was uh, in 99, Bob Pierce won. I guess he's won the race five times, and that was the third time he'd won. And that was the week after he'd won the North-South at Florence. So he goes to Florence and wins basically the biggest race of his career. Goes to Joliet uh, on Friday night and wins 10,000. And then goes to Prairie Dirt Classic and wins, I guess, 10,000 then. Um, and so over a period of eight days, he's had, I mean, it was probably the best eight day stretch of his career. And I remember just, you know, the fans loved Pierce then it was a, it was a big, uh, it was a big to do and a lot of fun, but it's funny though. I, I, the next year at the Prairie Dirt Classic is one of my favorites because, uh, I did a story maybe even, the upon the encouragement of Michael Rigsby, I don't know, but, but it was famous back then the backstretch stands, uh, were unmarked and unreserved. Um, and for a number of years, they would let the locals just go into the fairgrounds anytime they wanted during the week and, and save their, save their spa spaces, um, which, you know, no P the, the traveling people did not like. Uh, so at some point they started locking up the backstretch grandstands, um, through that week and they opened them up at 4 PM on Saturday for the Prairie Dirt Classic. Uh, or the summer nationals, like I guess they did for those two races. And I, and so I remember I did a story about, they let me in and I get to watch this rushing. They called it the running of the blankets. So they would unlo unlock this gate and everybody would just flood in. And I mean, it was, it was, I mean, it was a little who concert. It was close. I mean, it was not, not, uh, 
not the safest thing in the world. And that's eventually why they stopped it. I guess they just did that four or five years. But they're they're running the blankets at, at Fairbury to get a seat always uh, cracked me up. And I, it was fun doing a story about that. And as talking to Derek uh, this past week, he there may just be a running for any seat. Uh, he's concerned about it just being completely crazy there this weekend with the, you know, the first time they're paying 50,000 and it's going to be, uh, it is going to be a lot of cars and a lot of people in a pretty small space, but, uh, it will be a to do. And, uh, ever, I've never seen anybody, uh, very rarely see anybody at Fairbury that's not smiling, happy or have a beer in their hand. So I think there'll be lots of good times there. It is definitely shaping up to be a big weekend at Fairbury for the Prairie Dirt Classic. And uh, so we'll go ahead and finish up like we always do with our uh, our one more thing or one last thing, whatever we call it here, uh, where we go around each bring up one other thing that uh, kind of stuck that stood out to us over the past week, whether it be a race result or a news item. Uh, I'm going to start it off, and I'm going to mention um, for my uh, covering the, the Southern Nationals at Screven. And this I hope this doesn't come off as a gripe, but one thing that's always kind of baffled me on on Ray Cook's races um, is the the rule where everybody has to finish the lap for it to count if the caution comes out. And uh, you know most series, you know, a lot of series have the the leader plus one or the leader plus two or something where if only you know half the field finish the lap and then a wreck happens behind the leaders, it counts. Um, you know that way you don't end up with a pass for the lead. You know, half a lap later, getting negated or or something like that. But uh, one thing that kind of uh, a I think it was a scoring snafu that happened on the series is uh, Will Harrington gets the jump on um, Clay Knight in a in his heat race and leads the first lap, and everybody did cross the line. Uh, however, and then a two car spun out in one and two. I don't know how that didn't count as a lap, but they reverted back and did a complete restart and. Uh, Knight got the jump and won the heat race. And that led to, that was basically determined the race. And then that led Her- Harrington to start in seventh. And of course he was one of the fastest cars in the feature, drove to third and was faster than the, the lead, the uh, uh, Ross Bells um, and Stephen Roberts in the end. And it just kind of left me wondering what would have happened if he'd have been starting third instead of seventh there. And if it would have been a better race between Bells and him. Uh, and I know um, he was a little confused as well. But, hey, that's the way it rolled. But, anyway, it was a good run for him, Another a super late model guy, a crate late model guy that's really kind of hit, starting to hit his stride a little bit in super late models and had a good run there. And he's going to Fairbury, so it'll be interesting to see another uh, guy from the south heading up there and, and trying his hand at, at Falls. Uh, Kevin, what about you? What do you got for one more thing? Oh, yeah, it was uh, kind of a news-breaking item after I-80 uh, happened. It's uh, Nick Hoffman, who's winning every – uh, summit modified nationals race. Uh, there is, I mean, wait, 17 of 18, I think after winning at, a uh, Richmond on Sunday, um, he's got, uh, he's been tapped to drive for Scott Bloomquist car. Uh, I, I didn't even realize this happened at, 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 uh, at, uh, I-80 on Saturday night. I mean, Bloomquist apparently, uh, during the race halfway through, he just, his leg just acted up on him. You know, as remember he had a hip replacement back in January of 2020, uh, and in and, and the aftermath of his uh, motorcycle wreck that really messed up his uh, his hip and and he's had problems with, you know, like he it was a gradual thing that getting that feeling back in his right legs that where he could feel that throttle. And and uh, I, last week, it seems that right before he left for I-80, he was on his boat at, at the lake and jumped off the boat, kind of came down hard on the concrete and fell a little bit. And. And it might it must have tweaked something in there because during the race, the longer the race went, the less he could feel the sensation in his right leg. He couldn't. He started getting inconsistent with his laps. And 
Um, and he just, something has to be done. He had, he, he was like, I, we, we either got to go home or we got to uh, get this figured out. So they stayed in Illinois and, and, uh, Scott and his partner, Cody summer, they decided to call up, uh, Nick Hoffman and Nick Hoffman, who's uh central Illinois, uh, native like, uh, Cody summer is, and they, they go way back. They have a, a little friendship there. And Cody says, hi, you want to come run this car? And Nick Hoffman was up there and work, you know, he's on mo- by Monday, he was there quickly to, to work on it. So, um, uh, the plan is to to run Fairbury, and they were also planning to run Davenport on Tuesday night, so uh, to get some laps. And it's pretty uh pretty cool that the the, the hottest modified driver in the country is going to be kind of sitting in here for uh, Scott Bloomquist uh, at least for one week, uh, maybe longer, depending on how uh, uh, Bloomquist's condition there with his uh, with his leg uh, kind of develops. Yeah, that definitely will be an interesting storyline to to watch this weekend at Fairbury. Uh, Robert, what do you got for one more thing? Oh, you know, I noticed that uh, uh, Corey Hedgecock here in Tennessee, uh, Loudon, Tennessee native, uh, picked up a $2,500 crate victory at uh, I-75 on Saturday, I believe. And then on his Facebook page on Sunday, it said he left Harrah's with 18000 so, uh, so a pretty good payday for, for Corey Hedgecock over the weekend, who, uh, apparently went into Harris with 5,000 and leaves with 18. So he, he cleared about 13,000, uh, at, at Harris over the weekend, along with his, uh, his crate victory. And, and, uh, I guess, uh, hopefully he doesn't care that I say that since it was actually on his Facebook page and is still on his Facebook page, uh, his, uh, his, uh, the, the money he left there with so a uh, pretty good weekend uh on the track and off the track for Corey hedgecock and from what i understand you know uh hedgecock and his dad uh you know they run eagle uh, uh race engines up there in east tennessee so uh from what i understand it's it's free valve springs for everybody from you know i don't actually know it's not true but i wish it was true i'd go get me some <laughs> valve springs but no hedgecock great weekend on the track and off the track that's what I got. There you go. All right, Dodd, finishes up. Yeah, I keep track of our weekly results, and I always kind of like to monitor that and see how busy it is compared to the weather and everything. And it was a, kind of a pleasant surprise this week. There was 132 tracks, uh, I would say reporting, but most of them don't report anymore. Me and Kevin have beef about that. But um, 132 tracks is running some type of late model style car and we're having results, which uh, the highest I can remember us having in the dirt on dirt areas is, is 140. So that's, you know, that's good. I think some people might look at COVID and look at the economy or whatever it is and think, Oh, tracks are closing and we aren't, um, you know, doing as well, but really it's, it's amazing. Lots of tracks still running, uh, you know, not, a, not, lo- not lots of super tracks. This certainly involves lots of limited and crate and different types of late models, but still overall the late model health of the sport. Uh, that's, that's kind of a, a shot in the arm to hear, uh, to hear that that many tracks are reporting results. Of course, that means we had good weather this weekend. Uh, and that's not even counting all the big special events like IED and the other stuff. So it was, a uh, Definitely uh, impressive that uh, late models are thriving this summer. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about the uh, so-called demise of weekly late model racing. It's good to hear that by at least uh, one metric, it's still uh, alive and well. So, 
All right, I think that's going to do it for uh, this week's episode of the podcast. We appreciate everyone listening. We're all going to go our separate rate, separate ways to uh, for event coverage this week, and we'll be back again next week to uh, talk all about it on here. Y'all have a great week. Mm-hmm.